And cue music. Get ready for the biggest episode of A-Sides yet. I'm Andy, and for episode 108, I spoke with Kenny Wright of The Great Affairs. We discussed the KISS album Creatures of the Night. It was recently re-released in a deluxe package. We not only talked about the contents of the deluxe album, but also the effects that it's still having on Kenny 40 years later. So get ready. Here is episode 108 of A-Sides. Look, it's rock and roll! Thanks for chatting with me tonight for this. I guess my head's kind of all over the place because I'm so excited to talk to you about Creatures of the Night. I'm excited to talk about it, man. I can't even remember if I came up with the idea or you did or we both came up with that at the same time. I think we both did. I think I said something like, we should do a whole podcast dedicated to this, a kind of joke, and then you ran with it as yeah. you often do. So I'm glad you were receptive to the idea. There's a few things that I like doing more than talking about kiss man so <laughs> i know you said that this album is special to you and it's kind of probably the first one that i actually listened to myself too although it was like 10 years ago so that's kind of why i'm glad that you're as excited to talk about it because you actually lived it yeah so what were you up to in 1982 when the album was released like were you in grade school high school i want to say i was a freshman in high school i wasn't old enough to drive yet as i always did when a kiss record especially but you know, other records too. That I got my mom to take me to the record store. And I remember usually like, you know, back then records came out on Tuesday. For whatever reason, I couldn't make it to the record store until Friday. And I remember there was a Halloween party that night and everybody was going to this Halloween party and I cajoled my mom into taking me to the record store and getting it. And I only had like an hour before the party to listen to this record. And I was the only one in my friend base that got it. And everybody was so eager for me to weigh in on how it sounded. That's what I was basically doing in 82 was really starting to discover more hard rock and heavy metal music and stuff. And that's one of the reasons that this album is important because for me and my friend base and, and the fan base of KISS fans that I hung around with, we got into KISS around 76, and that was their heyday. And, you know, we all sort of had our Ed Sullivan moment with Paul Lynn Halloween special or AHA moment. I can't overstate enough how it changed my perspective on things. It's like a lot of people saying when they first heard Sgt. Pepper or something. And not that I'm equating the two, but when I heard Destroyer for the first time, my door of my mind swung open like nothing else ever happened in my life. It was great to be a Kiss fan in those years, in 76, 77, 78. 
And, you know, I, I got to go see him in 79 on the Dynasty Tour and all that. But, you know, I was younger than a lot of the fans that got into him on the ground level. And I had made a lot of friends over the years, you know, bonded over Kiss. And that was that was a big thing for us. And then when they started to wane a bit and a lot of former fans sort of started jumping ship because they didn't like the direction with the disco thing and and the pop thing with Unmasked and all that stuff, you know, I was still really wide eyed about it and and really loved those records. I, I didn't understand why people didn't think those records were were good. You know, now I understand why people would be disappointed if you got into them on, in 1974. You probably don't like I Was Made For Loving You and all that stuff. And also, you know, you grow up and you get into different things and I get all that, but we never didn't like them, man. We stuck with them through all of that stuff, man. And as tough as that music from the elder was to sort of swallow, <laughs> we stuck with it, man, you know? And we used to get these records and dissect every little thing about them. We didn't jump ship and, and all that stuff. I mean, I still got into other bands and stuff. And there was a long period where they didn't really do anything. They didn't tour here. I really thought when the Killers album came out, those four new songs were, were a real step in the right direction. And I was really excited about that. And even though I didn't, still didn't care for that image that they had sort of cultivated for themselves with the short hair and the that sort of... I don't know what you call that look that they cultivated, but um, I still didn't dig that, but I stuck, I stuck with them and I was super excited to find out that creatures was coming out. Kenny. So yeah. did you get killers back uh, then in 82 when it came out? Oh yeah, man. I mean, anything that came out, any shred of anything that came out with kiss, it was an absolute must have. I mean, if it was a magazine, a record, I have everything in multiple formats. That that was happening in real time. I didn't go back and try to buy all that stuff, you know, on eBay and stuff. I, I collected that stuff as it was being re released. So, yeah, I had all that. And, I mean, with, with every record that came out, I mean, I can't even quantify the level of excitement that was going on for myself and my friends that were still into Kiss and all that. So when Creatures came out and I heard it, just the opening drum fill on Creatures of the Night, man. You knew it was not music from the elder. They had sort of moved into the direction that things were going with the whole new wave of British heavy metal and all that. That was kind of, a, to me, a shot across the bow. And I, I feel like if somebody had never heard Kiss before, and all I'd gotten into was stuff like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and all those hard rock bands that were happening back then, if somebody just slipped that record in with those, I would have felt like it's just, just as heavy as any of this stuff, man. You know, so it was very of the time, but not in a trying to play catch up mode. But they were as contemporary as any of those bands. While they might not have been as young, they were still doing it at the same level. And, and it was just as heavy and just as cool. Yeah, you're right. Because 82 was like a priest had an album screaming for vengeance. Remember The Beast was out that same year, and even <laughs> Scorpion's Blackout, too. It was a huge year, man. So there was a lot of heavy-duty music coming out, and uh, they caught right up, man, you know. And they still had their makeup on and the image. I really gravitated towards the image of Kiss, and I've always gravitated towards that type of thing, man. I, I, I like that kind of aesthetic in music. Doesn't I'm not, not necessarily like makeup and all that stuff, but just in general. 
I was thinking about this from my own background, but do you think maybe you were drawn to the image of Kiss kind of because of comic books too? I don't know, man. I think it's just something in my DNA, but I, I will have to say, man, that the first time I heard Kiss, it was on an eight-track tape, and there was no booklet or I didn't see him on TV. A lot of people, the first exposure they had to him was on that Paul Lynn Halloween special, but I didn't see that till later. It was strictly the music and the circumstances under which I heard that Destroyer album, and it struck me in a, in a way that I've rarely been, uh, I've felt about any other music or film or art or anything. It really hit me on a, on a level that I can say I've very rarely been moved on awesome because yeah i kind of realized that that's kind of something maybe that i kind of was drawn into some of those bands even kiss or like we mentioned like iron maiden and stuff just because of the i like the image or the logos and stuff i think it goes with drawn stuff myself that'd be stuff i would doodle i was into comics and still am um and i was also an artist back then i i, I drew and painted and, and did comic strips and things like that so i feel like i just naturally gravitated to visuals you know i'm a big jethro toll fan and while they couldn't be any different musically or image wise i always thought they looked super cool man they just you know especially back in the mid 70s they all had beards and long hair and more sort of strange clothes on stage it doesn't have to be david bowie ziggy stardust to get my attention it's just something about an image yeah i think i naturally gravitate towards that kind of thing even still with creatures coming out then and you said some people kind of like had fallen off the kiss wagon or whatever did you like feel too kind of validated when that one kind of came out and kind of brought them back absolutely man because it was like we felt like we were waving the flag all the time man you know and all the people that were into them in the mid to late 70s and then sort of after dynasty came and went then everybody sort of like oh and you know they suck and uh that you know all that I, you know i would get pissed about that stuff man because i still love them and i still thought they were great people that got into them in the early 70s and and moved on and they're 20 something years old now or something like that i, I understand that they're probably not following them anymore and all, all that it's just kind of like you know, I got kids of my own and my, my daughter used to be into all, all kinds of stuff and she doesn't listen to it anymore, but it turned her on then. But, you know, Kiss has staying power and anybody that wants to argue about that, that you know, the, the facts speak for themselves. And so, yeah, we would get pissed about that stuff, man. And, and it, like when they had successes and things like that, it felt like a success to us. Like we were validated our fandom that made us not look like we were on a sinking ship or whatever. Even going back to the Elder, like I know we're talking about Creatures of the Night, but there's some still kind of heavy stuff on there too. Yeah, the Oath, that was really unlike them. That riff is not a kiss riff uh, on, on the oath. That's a, that's out of left field really for them. And you know, that, that was really something more that was going on. And like I said, on that new wave of British heavy metal thing, I love Bob Ezrin. This is not a knock on him, but had he not sort of completely neutered that record, man, there, there might've been some more balls and, and hard, harder rock stuff on there. Yeah. He didn't totally do what he did with destroyer with them. It was like the opposite. Well, I mean, I think he tried to do what he did with the story on it, but it kind of backfired on him because, first of all, the songs are better. And second of all, it wasn't bogged down with that 
concept, which I guess was just some sort of a loose concept that they had. And I guess they felt like it would materialize as the record. I don't know. I can't speak speak for them. But and I read that whole book that comes with this creature's box set. And they, the whole first part of the book is about trying to recover from the elder. To me, that was all sort of one really circular period of time where it seemed like forever after Unmasked came out that the elder came out. It bombed and then they put out that killer's record really quick, I guess, to sort of try to reestablish themselves as a rock band and then creatures. And then it was on after that. Yeah, you're right. Because I guess it would have felt like forever because they didn't tour the elder. And then they really did with Unmask. It's like what they only toured like Europe and Australia. It went to Australia. That was pretty much it. Yeah. So no, we got nothing. I mean, I saw him on Dynasty and then. Then I kind of felt like I got jipped because there was no unmasked tour here. There was no elder tour, period. And uh, But that was a big payoff when that Creatures tour rolled through here, man. That was going to be my next question. So you did see him on that tour? Yes. Were you up front? I was young. And uh, certainly back then, I was not, I'm not a big guy. And it was uncomfortable down there. And finally, I had to make my way away from the barricade. But I did get to see him up. That that was I was literally up against the barricade on uh, for the first few songs. Oh, right on! That'd be cool seeing that tank up there or the drum yeah. riser kind of thing. I was already back in the seat by the time uh, the tank started moving around, but yeah, it was uh, unbelievable, and it was a great show, man. I mean, they played all the classics. There was no filler material, and they played a bunch of songs off of the record and did them really well. I know that tour was canceled because. Of poor attendance and there was a lot of bad nights but if i'm not mistaken that sold out in nashville and that was on super bowl sunday oh damn yeah and it snowed <laughs> not bad but it snowed and we stood out in line from noon until they opened the doors and that's why i was able to get up front so you know that's the first time i'd seen him in four years that was a huge thing, man, you know, getting to go see him again. And they still had, I got one last shot at seeing him in the makeup till they reunited. And it was, it was killer. And I already knew that Vinny was going to be the guitar player, but it seemed to me that nobody outside realized it. And uh, everybody thought it was still going to be Ace. And I remember having a bunch of conversations with random guys in, in line and stuff. And they were like, no, he's still in the band. And sure enough, man, when you got up in the venue and they had all the merch tables set up, there's a band picture with Vinnie Vincent on it. So I was vindicated. Once again, you're vindicated. How did you know, though? Because even going through, like we talked about, you got the box set and the vinyl, and I got the vinyl. And in the little booklet in there, it's got a signing from when the album came out and Ace was even doing a signing with the band. Well, because tour started in December, I think, or something like that. Oh, or that's like, right. Like I said, man, I, every single shred of anything that had anything to do with them back then, I was on top of it. So I was reading Kerrang! magazine and Sounds magazine and, and Circus and anybody that was had a little stamp-sized picture kiss in it, man, I read it. Dang, you like cracked the code or something. I just stayed informed. That was before the internet, so you couldn't just go online and watch clips from the night before or whatever. That was a great time. Well, what tracks stand out the most to you from Creatures, or just all of them? Like I said, when it kicked off, man, and that drum fill came in, I'd honestly never heard drums sound like that before. And the drum sound is the, is the absolute cornerstone of that album. Hearing that took me a second to get my equilibrium back after hearing his fill at the beginning of Creatures of the Night. He sang the hell out of it. 
those keyboard mixed with backup vocals on the chorus. I just, man, I was mesmerized by it, man. And then I thought Saint and Center was great. Like it just segued right into that. And then I love Keep Me Coming, man. That's a that's right in my top 20 Kiss songs of all time, man. I oh, thought wow. Paul really fucking nailed it on that, man. And it was like being in a heavyweight prize fight or something, man, and getting just hit with a left hook. And then as soon as you recover from it, you get hit with a right cross. After listening to those last three records, you know, they, they were not a hard rock band anymore. They were straddling the line between a lot of different types of music on that, man. You know, and I never thought I'd hear bongos on a Kiss album. This is the payoff right here. All these years of defending them and saying, you know, they're still a great rock band. It was, it absolutely paid off in the first 30 seconds of listening to that record. I'm not a huge rock and roll hell fan. I don't love that song as much. It just kind of plods along. To me, it was like a sort of a heavy metal take on Jukebox Hero by Foreigner or something like that. Huh. I just didn't, really, I don't like that subject matter necessarily. It doesn't really resonate with me so much. So that's not my favorite. The only other song that I don't, I'm not in love with on there, and a lot of people totally disagree with me, and that's fine, is Danger. I do like it. I just don't love it. But honestly, after that, every other song on that record, man, I feel like it's just money. And uh, man, the ending with War Machine like that, that was God of Thunder on steroids, really. You just look at that cover while you're listening to the record, it puts you in that place. Speaking of the cover, they didn't announce this with all the features, you know, that come with the reissue. But if you look at the cover, the eyes are kind of embossed or something. The eyes glow in the dark. And I haven't even taken the plastic off of it yet. Um, so I did not notice that. I just looked at it, made sure it wasn't dented up when I got it. But um, no, I didn't know that. But yeah, man, I'm sitting here um, with a stack of creatures stuff in front of me that I bought when it came out. And I'm looking at a glow in the dark. 12 inch single and then the back is like a negative so yeah the glowing eyes was really a um after reading the book that came with the, the box set the the glowing eyes was a real thing and i guess that sort of bled over into the i love it loud video oh yeah uh, yeah you've seen that video i'm i'm sure right yeah, I saw it like years ago and then reading through that booklet like Gene said that he came up with having the end of the video be like a village of the damned or something with kids. He talks about that in the book, but this I didn't realize until I read that. Near the end, there's a, they kind of walk up and there's a lot of smoke and lighting around them and stuff and their eyes are glowing and they look really odd in it, like almost like mannequins in a way. And then there's a still of that in the book and apparently they attached i guess to their faces or whatever glow in the dark eyes oh <laughs> so apparently eric was upset about it because his were i maybe because his bangs were long or something his eyes were really low and he thought he looked really strange in it and it was kind of a point of contention with him that uh, he didn't look cool but when you look at that still in the booklet 
it does look really bizarre. They look like they do look like creatures of the night. They look like hybrid animals or something like that. So it's really cool. You only see that shot in the video for a second and you can't really focus on it. But when you just sit there and look at that picture, it's very odd looking. I guess that must be just on your booklet then. I got to spend another three hundred dollars to yeah, see that. <laughs> I'll show it to you when you, next time you come to town. You had said "Keep Me Coming" is one of your probably top twenty songs. I love it, man. I kind of felt like it wasn't as strong as some of the other ones, but then how this reissue has like a whole bunch of live tracks. I thought them doing that one live, it it really popped. You know, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to the live part of it yet. I've been listening to all those um, takes different takes of the songs and demos and things like that there's a lot to unpack on that to be quite honest with you i didn't realize they ever even played that live they played creatures of the night i love it loud war machine and i still love you when i saw them on creatures and that was all they played from that record yeah it said over here too they played rock and roll hell your other favorite one in rockford illinois i guess they were just trying different things on for size or whatever we'll see what sticks yeah I actually do really like Rock and Roll Hell, and I thought it was kind of cool that Brian Adams has like a co-write on that, and even on War Machine. Were you into him at the time? I mean, I don't know that I would say I was into Brian Adams, but I, I did like those records. I was a lot surprised that he wrote on that record, man. I, I For a while, I was trying to figure out, is that actually Brian Adams, or is that just somebody else named Brian Adams? Because you don't expect <laughs> Brian to pump out a song called War Machine with Gene Simmons, you know? Um, and also back then, man, there was a lot of, even though I, I resisted it to a certain degree and liked a lot of a lot of other types of music, there was a sort of a stigma that if you liked Brian Adams or the Tubes or the Fix or whatever, any of that kind of stuff, then you couldn't like heavy rock. And so there was not a lot of, amongst fans, certainly, there wasn't a lot of cross-pollination between pop bands that were having top 40 singles like that and bands like Kiss. You know, you wouldn't imagine that somebody like that would come in and write with Kiss. So it was kind of the same when I was like in high school and school and that too, because like my era was new metal, you know, with Corn and Limp Biscuit. I didn't like them, but I like Corn and then Seven Dust was out. And then you had like the grunge bands from before that. But if you liked hair metal, you were made fun of in school. So it was, it was all the heavier shit. Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of goes back to the point I, I was making about sticking with kiss it's probably i'm sure you know this but it's difficult to completely appreciate unless you live through it but there was an enormous backlash against disco because it got so popular and for them to embrace it and and have literally have a their you know one of their biggest singles be a disco song that pissed a lot of rock fans off man and that they were done with kiss you kind of were putting my brain down this path. I think there's something in one of the Kissologies that was like whatever, Kissology 2. Paul Stanley says something like, Lick It Up sold way more than Creatures. But I think he was kind of insinuating Creatures is a stronger album. And he's like, people were listening with their eyes instead of just listening to the music. Yeah, I agree with that because of their image. And I feel like he had wanted to take the makeup off a lot earlier than Gene did because he really wanted to be recognized for being more than the image. While I understand that, that ended up being a double-edged sword because they didn't transition very well into what was going on in 1983 and 1984 when they took the makeup off. 
they just didn't look cool. There's no other way to put it. I know where this is a creatures episode, but when that lick it up video came out and it started off, I mean, you know, you'd already seen them on the cover without the makeup and all that. So it was all cool in the MTV thing. It wasn't like, I didn't know what they looked like. They had more of like a street clothes image on the cover of that record and, and all that. And what I remember the world premiere of that video and they panned up from their feet walking. And when they got up to him, I was crestfallen, man. I mean, they just look ridiculous. Vinny, I just didn't feel like looked anything like somebody that would be in Kiss, should have, have ever been in Kiss. Their image was just terrible, man. They never caught up. You got bands that are they're coming out like Poison. They're way younger. They're better looking. They're way more androgynous. And you can't compete with that, man. They're in their mid-30s at this point, man. And these guys are in their early 20s, so... They were fighting a losing battle with with <laughs> with that stuff, man. Yeah, this was even something too. Talking about the clothes that they're wearing, I feel like they didn't even kind of get into a groove with the image like you're talking about until Revenge. That's actually like a good look for them, but it took them like another ten years to kind of dial that in. Well, because they were chasing a trend, you know, which and the trend did not wasn't about having beards and and all that and and wearing leather and all that kind of stuff so yeah they caught up on that man and even though i'm not a big fan of that record i know a lot of people really point to that as sort of them riding the ship a little bit i don't love revenge that much but they did sort of come around and employ a heavier sound and um, they had a much more cohesive image i feel like that didn't really have as much to do with what was going on around them at the time. And I thought the tour and that stage show was a little too, it was too spinal tappy from, <laughs> I felt like the, that creatures tour, but the tank sort of simplicity that they had with all that stuff. I felt like that was perfect, man. It was a perfect step forward for them as far as their stage show goes, because dynasty wasn't, they didn't have a big stage show. Nothing really happened on that. They had some flame columns and some concussion mortars and the, confetti and things like that but the stage was really stripped down it just had ramps and the levitating drum riser and i felt like they took it up two levels with that tank that was a really great idea i kind of even like the costumes yeah i mean it's like they kind of went through their closet a little bit because if you notice that's some of that's parts of the elder costume some of it's a little bit of the looks like maybe the destroyer costume there's the 76 boots yeah so it's like they didn't you could tell they didn't really want to spend a bunch of money on making costumes so they just kind of went through there i mean at one point paul was wearing a kiss t-shirt as his top i just thought it kind of looked almost more like a strip back or like street or almost like a little judas yeah. priesty kind of a little bit it was a street as kiss could get being as they wore manufactured costumes but you're absolutely right man they they took it back down to to that level that they kind of, you know, were on when they first started out. It wasn't um, all Vegasy and glitzy like the Dynasty outfits and the, and all that with the ostrich feathers and and <laughs> purple and stuff, you know. So yeah, you're absolutely right, man. And it was it was cool. I mean, I thought they looked cool. They were trying to grow their hair back out because they'd cut it for the elder and all that stuff. And and so uh, it was a man. It was a, to me, it was a great time to be a. A Kiss fan. They had reestablished themselves 
as as a heavy duty band and in my opinion a contender in a world of brand new bands that were coming out and putting out heavy music which was my thing back then and you know sort of still is i guess but um and it carried over into lick it up i felt like that was a great one-two punch man the creatures into lick it up they made the right i feel like they made the right decision by stopping that tour regrouping going back in making that record which with very you know very few exceptions i thought all those songs were great on there and yeah man i mean they rose to the occasion man and speaking of lick it up i actually looked this up earlier today before work because i was kind of wondering how creatures actually sold and it said that what i saw was creatures it didn't even go gold until 1994 but lick it up was gold by the end of the year in 83 when it came out so that is real information the other thing about lick it up was you know they'd take the makeup off and all that and mtv had sort of hit its stride there so that was a big thing of helping that record out i i guess because they were getting a lot of plays on that video they did that unmasking thing and that single got radio play whereas creatures didn't get any radio play things were changing and they had you know conformed a little bit i guess to what was happening in, in music at the time and in, in, you know rock and heavy rock music and so yeah they 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 benefited from that MTV thing i guess it helped sell that record and that was a successful tour. I don't think they were canceling any dates on that. And they were taking out heavy metal bands. You know, I saw them with Riot and Vandenberg, I think, on that Lick It Up tour. And they were making the same type of music and occupying the same type of space that other bands were doing. Lick It Up had to go platinum, right? It did. Well, you know, you know they talk about it a little bit in that book. They were used to selling out stadiums and every record that they had had since love gun was shipping at least platinum so they weren't used to not being successful that was new territory to them and they weren't used to looking out at half empty venues and and stuff and you know you got to give them a lot of credit for sticking with it and fighting back and they recovered from it in a big way classic rock is a hell of a thing it is yeah I guess I had one other thing I was going to mention about it, too. Since you got the box set yesterday and you said you started going through some of the songs, like with the demos, like had you heard a lot of that stuff before? Because I know like like stuff circulated online or a tape trading and stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, back when um, I, got, I first started getting that stuff, there was no online. So it was like um, I had this one dude up in Blacksburg, Virginia, that he had all this his stuff and he would make copies of these cassettes and send them so most of the i don't say most because there's a lot of things on there like just different takes from the songs and stuff that i'd never heard but a lot of the, like all those demos i had already had like feel like heaven and and deadly weapons and all that uh, so that wasn't as surprising to me and i had that not for the innocent demo which I think is fantastic. And I feel like that would have been a better fit for the record than maybe Rock and Roll Hell. I mean, that was heavy duty. If they were trying to establish themselves as a as a dark, hard rock band, that is a lot cooler, in my opinion. They could have really done that up. 
Another thing, I love that. It's my life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never heard that until the Wendy O. Williams record, so I didn't even realize that was a Kiss possibility. I knew Gene wrote it, you know, and all that, but, uh, and I, I dig her version of it and all that stuff, but then King Cobra did a version of it that wasn't great, and, you know, then it was recorded, I guess, again for Psycho Circus, and Ace sang part of it and all that stuff, and, and uh, it's like that song was the hit song that never happened for him. I don't know why they just didn't, I, I understand why they didn't use it on Creatures, because, I feel like it's a little light for uh, just in subject matter and it doesn't really go along with the theme of the album, but man, I would have definitely held that and thrown it on lick it up. Yeah. That's one of my favorite overall kiss songs. I always thought that that would have been like maybe something to get them airplay or something. Cause it's so sing-alongy, maybe like a, another version of like rock and roll all night or something like an anthem. But then what you're saying kind of puts it into perspective. If they're going heavy, maybe they don't want anything that's kind of sing-alongy. I love it loud's like a better anthem. Even though it's certainly catchy and singable, you know, it's more of like a manifesto type song. Yeah. And actually they needed something. You can't release a song like Danger or something as a single necessarily and expect it to do well on American radio. So that was the obvious single from it. And I, I completely get it and agree with it, but Psycho Circus album, and there's a few fairly heavy duty turds on that record that could have been replaced <laughs> with that. Man. So, yeah. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, that was just a, I don't know, maybe wrong place, wrong time or something, but he should have kept that song instead of giving it to Wendy Williams. Is that an album, the Wendy O. Williams one you got back when it came out initially? Yeah, man, I did. I love that record. I was a big Plasmatics fan. I was really rooting for her, man. I liked that record. And uh, in any, like I said, anything that had anything to do with Kiss and the fact that he had Eric and Ace play on different tunes on that were, you know, I would have bought it even if it was somebody that I never, you know, I didn't care anything about. I would have definitely bought that record. But I do love that record, man. It's He did a great job on that, man. He really wrangled her into making about the best probably record that she was capable of doing from a talent standpoint. I didn't even know about that album until recently. It might have been back in the summer when there was rumors of this creature thing getting released. I think I was texting Denny about it. And he said, check out the Wendy O. Williams album. And like at first, I didn't like it. Maybe it was like uh, her voice is too rough. I actually can't think of the word. I'm drawing a blank. Like it was, uh, it just took a couple of listens for me to get like used to it. But I, I kind of dig that album now too. Like even Thief in the Night, her version, I like that more than the Kiss one. I mean, it's cool. It's uh, she had a thing, man. You know, and uh, um, like I said, he did a really great job of bringing out all the good stuff about her. I don't think he got enough credit where credit was due for his production work on some of those albums that he did, man. I mean, like that Easy O record, man. That was so out of left field and so great. What record? The Easy O record. Have you, are you not hip to that? 
No, no, no. I, guess I got to put it on your action item list, man. That is fantastic Japanese heavy metal record, man. And he produced it, and it is killer, killer. Every song is a winner on that, man. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't know how much he. I don't know how much he did with them in the studio because the next record he did not produce, but it's still really cool. But man, yeah, get it. I feel like he made a lot of really good records and didn't really get enough credit for it. And that was one of them. And so is that Wendy o. Williams record. I think at that time people were just like, eh, you know, whatever. He's just doing whatever he's got. To, you know, who cares about what Gene Simmons is doing or has to say or anything. But yeah, here's the word I was trying to think of with Wendy o. Williams. It's an acquired taste. Well, I mean, she can't. She's not a singer. Man. Yeah. It's a little bit like Johnny Rotten. She was the centerpiece. Nobody's going to have her singing on their jingle or yeah. harmony or record or anything like that. She did her one thing, which is that Wendy Williams thing. That's cool. <laughs> and I, I mean, like I said, I'm a big Plasmatics fan, and I love that record. But, you know, she's not – nobody's going to confuse her with Aretha Franklin or anything. So, you know, that that's why I think that record is so cool, man. Here's something I noticed, too. I didn't even know that this existed, but I guess there was, like – how there's so many categories with the Grammys. Back in the 80s, there was a uh, female rock category. So it wasn't just an overall rock. It was male and female. The Wendy O. Williams album was nominated in 85 for that category. I don't think I, either I didn't know that or I have lost too many brain cells to remember it, but rightly so. It was a really cool record, man. Great in between the grooves. And just, I like everything about that record. It's not like a desert island disc or anything, but it's really cool. Yeah. Even something else, too, that like another Kiss connection that I wasn't really familiar with until a couple of years ago was even Doro. Her album had like Gene production. She covered one of those Paul Stanley songs that was uh, floating around in between. I think it was either in between Asylum and what's the one with the cracked glass cover? I can't think of it. Shit. Crazy Nights. Crazy Nights, it's either between those two or between Crazy Nights and Hot in the Shade. But yeah, Sword and Stone and Bonfire did a version of that. It was sort of Paul doing his Baroque heavy metal <laughs> type thing, which I didn't really, you know, that was an interesting time for them too. But that's a whole different podcast. We're, we've, we've jumped way ahead, man. Oh, oh, wait, the song that she covered, Only You, and it was the original demo version from The Elder before it became mm-hmm. like the concept theme. So it was more of like a love song. Yeah, it had different lyrics. I've got the Elder demos. It's on there. There's several versions of that. But she did something. I feel like, did she not do something else? I know there's one other, I haven't really listened to a whole lot of her stuff, but she also covered Legends Never Die, which was oh, yeah. a demo yeah, from this. Demo from Creatures, yeah. Man, I've forgotten more about that stuff than I can actually remember. I was never uh, wild about her. I liked some of that stuff, and then there was a couple of Warlock songs I liked, but that's just not, that really wasn't my bag so much, man. I just thought it was kind of a cool like connection. Yeah, they were, I think, just kind of at that time, around those years, throwing stuff at the wall and just seeing if anything stuck. Here's one other thing, too. It goes back with what we were talking about, too, is there was a quote from Gene in the booklet. He says, Creatures was authentic and it holds up today. We were really proud of the record when it came out and still are proud of it. While it should have been a much bigger record for us, there's a right place, a right time, 
and the rest of the world didn't get it at the time. But that's true with painters and people who write books. Sometimes it isn't until much later where people go, hey, wait a minute, we missed that one. And that's a good one. It is. And he's absolutely right, man. One of the things I took away from reading that book that came with the, the box set was they were sort of famous for glossing over their fuck-ups and talking about you know their successes ad nauseum they really cop to you know this tour failed we you know the elder was a terrible idea and they they really were frank about it and they didn't try to make it into like oh yeah that record sold really great and we played a lot of packed sold out venues and stuff because they they did play sold out venues and stuff and you could have easily spun that in the direction of not admitting your failures and only celebrating your victories. But I like that about that book and the fact that they were honest about it. And it was a true retrospective of what was going on at the time and how they really needed to rebound from that. And regardless of whether or not that record sold great and all that, it absolutely reestablished them as a formidable arena rock band and they they went on to con, you know continue that was the I, I can absolutely guarantee you that was the last time that they had to cancel portions of tours because of poor attendance and i don't know what their you know i don't follow record sales or chart position necessarily that much but that album has stood the test of time and just because it didn't go over a storm in 1982 it is a fantastic piece of heavy metal rock and roll. And it's one of their most accomplished albums. And I don't know that any real Kiss fan would argue with that. And I don't, I can't imagine too many, unless you just got a hard on against Kiss, I can't imagine any metal fan saying, that, yeah, this record sucked. That's not, you know, that's not good. It's great. It's an important album in their career. One of the most important records, I, I feel like. I don't think I can even follow up that. You just kind of hit the nail on the head and really summed it up there, man. Well, I, like I said, man, I, I've been this has been 40 years in the making of wanting to talk about this record with somebody that cared. So I absolutely appreciate the opportunity to come on your podcast and talk about the importance of this album. It, it is important to kiss fans and it's important to rock and roll man someday somebody's gonna find this thing it's never heard of kiss and they're gonna look at that cover and they're gonna feel the same way that i felt when i heard destroyer for the first time i wasn't even alive when it came out but i did actually kind of come across them through a song um on this album it was like war machine and i was super into pro wrestling in high school and one of the wrestlers on tv at the time he actually use War Machine as his like entrance music when he's coming out to the ring. So I was like, oh man, this song is like awesome. Like what is this? I have to look it up. And it it does I kind of fit as a good like entrance theme. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic song. I feel like it, it's very thematic. Like I said, to end that record with that song 
was absolutely brilliant, man. And it doesn't matter when you got into them, man. If it was 45 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever, you know, it's this time was rock and roll music. Yeah. You know, it may not be the white album, but what is? Well, thank you for talking to me about this album, but I do have one other little thing. We were going back and forth through a text messages and how you said that like like your discovery of Kiss was life altering. You also talked about another band recently, like when we were talking, that was kind of life altering for you. And it was Nazareth. And you actually said that discovering Nazareth was like discovering electricity. <laughs> yeah, man. It, it, um, because they came along at a time. It's it's difficult to, it's really difficult to put it in perspective just talking about it. But, you know, I grew up listening to stuff that, as I'm sure most people do, what their parents listened to, which is a lot of what's considered now classic country, things like Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and George Jones and things like that. And then the traditional folk music like John Denver and Gordon Lightfoot is a huge influence on, on me and stuff. But that light didn't go off to a little bit later, man. And then it sort of started to trickle in. My aunt and my older cousin turned me on to all kinds of music. My aunt was a huge Beatles fan and a Monkees fan, and she really hit me to that stuff. And my older cousin was the guy that turned me on to Kiss for the first time and played me Destroyer for the first time. And it was that. And then then it just sort of like the dam burst. I heard Hair of the Dog by Nazareth. A buddy of mine uh, turned me on to it. I'd never heard anything like it. I'd never heard anybody sing like that. It was. It was like, wow. It's like discovering America or something. If this exists, then there's got to be more. There's got to be more stuff. They can't be the only band that does this. And and then it was everything, man. It was Led Zeppelin. It was Alice Cooper. It was, I, I never, you know, I never looked back, man. And and I got, but Nazareth was one of the earlier heavy rock bands. That Hair of the Dog album really did change my perspective on hard rock music. Absolutely like discovering electricity, just as hearing Kiss for the first time was like discovering the candle or what, I don't know, you know, fire. Nazareth is electricity for me, man. Nazareth and Thin Lizzy. I can't talk about Nazareth without recognizing the passing of Dan McCaffrey recently. One of my favorite singers of all time and a true rock and roll powerhouse. Thanks for sharing those songs with me, too, because recently you, you'd even made a playlist and you included one of their songs. You are Broken Toy, yeah. Yeah. That's that's not one that you hear very often, but man, it's a great song. Yeah, for real. I'm at your service. You are. You're always putting cool stuff on my radar. <laughs> or if like my girlfriend talks about something and I don't know what it is, I'm like, oh well, Kenny's got to know. And then yeah, you always come through like that Parish Hall. Yeah. Fanny. Fanny, man. Yeah. Those are softballs, man. Give me something hard. Well, I thought they were hard. I'm like, I've never <laughs> heard of this stuff before. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm a lot older than you, man. So. Well, I know That's Jim just, Glass, I was like, I asked him too, I was like, have you ever heard of Parish Hall? And he's like, is that a, a venue? <laughs> <laughs> well, they weren't, you know, a household name, I guess, but yeah. I just, for whatever reason I heard of it, it wasn't like I was a fan, I do not own that record or any of that kind of stuff. So. I guess they were like a one and done. Yeah, I, I as far as I know, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know that much about them, I just knew who they were when you asked me about them. Well, I appreciate all the sharing songs with me and even chatting with me and diving into uh, Creatures of the Night. Yeah, man, I I, have, uh, I can't tell you how 
cathartic it was to talk about this record and how excited I am that it's out. And thank you so much for having me once again on your program. Anytime you want, got something you want to talk about, and I'm qualified to talk about it, you know my number. You will die in the halls of time. You've seen the calm and seen the gold. But why can't you sleep at night? Maybe it's a blur of the light. Maybe it's something you'll never know.